Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We've been talking through Galatians. This is the one, two, three, four, fifth, fifth lesson through Galatians. We're trying to take one chapter every two Wednesdays. And so I'm covering a lot more verses than I would typically cover, uh, but but it's okay. I, I think it's been good so far. I hope you've enjoyed it. We are in chapter three, starting chapter three today. We're going to go with verses one through 14. And it talks about faith brings righteousness. We are, and when I say righteousness, I want you to get past this large um Christian vernacular and just think that you're, because of the faith that you have and the grace that God provided through his son Jesus, you have right standing before him. Amen? And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to make the argument or discuss or explain the argument that Paul makes as to why we stand rightly before God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. And I'm going to be very repetitive today because I only have one thing to tell you, that you aren't enough to satisfy the justice and the wrath of God, that you aren't enough. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can put your hand to that's going to cause God to love you more than he did when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. There is nothing you can do that's going to gain his favor. Lee, do you hear what I'm saying? There's nothing you can do. You stand rightly before the throne room of God, expecting to receive mercy in your time of need for no other reason than you have decided to place your faith there because God loved you enough to be compassionate and merciful to you in your time of need, which means he saw a hurting in you, a need in you, and his guts wrenched with sadness to the degree that he had to do something about your condition. That's what compassion is. It's when you see something and you are so moved by it that you have to take physical action to remove that person from their situation. That's what Jesus did for us. Praise God. That's what Jesus did for us. God from heaven, looked down on his creation, having sinned, and with a with what I'm sure had to be a gut, gut-wrenching feeling, say, these are my children. I'm not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect grandfather. But when my kids have gone astray even this much, my heart moves. I'm crushed to the degree that my heart moves, which moves my hands and my feet to accomplish something to reconcile them back to me, back to their place, back to their inheritance, back to what I've or what they were created to do. This is this is the glory of the magnificence of the work of Jesus. That that God not only did the work, but He initiated the work. He not only initiated and did the work; He continues the work in us. Amen. And so that's, that's, that's what I'm going to tell you about 100 times a day. So if you wrote that down, you should be able to take a good nap, and I'll wake you up at 8 o'clock. But for now, for those of you who are interested, we're going to talk about 3 through 14. Let me read that to you. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I love this letter. I think I've told you before. 
because Paul's my kind of cat. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He just tells it like it is. It, it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets a little bit better as far as the vernacular he uses. He's, he's determined that they understand and know the truth. Amen? So he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive, and then he asked five, four questions. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, by what? By faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer, for as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. That is to say, if you're going to perform one law, you're going to be guilty of all of the law if you can't keep it perfectly. Christ, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. I think I skipped a verse. That's all right. You'll get it. We'll get it in a second. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen. Man, that is so good. <laughs> and I hope that by the end of the day, if you don't already understand, that you begin to understand. But before we, before we dive into this text, I want to I talk to you about some things. As we know, last week, we talked about how Paul opposed Peter to his face. Because this is a, this is a continuing letter. Paul didn't send verses 1 through 14 to him, and then before that, verses that we covered last week. All of these things need to be kept in context because they're all relative to one another. Amen? That's the problem. You take one verse and you teach on it, you lose its context if you don't take the time to establish the context of the Scripture. And so he has just gotten done telling the people in Galatia about what he had done in Antioch. For what purpose? Because he wanted them to know that he's not scared to confront a problem. Antioch had a problem. And that problem originated, or was at least um, continued in, the life and the actions of Peter. In fact, Peter, or Paul says, he has been condemned, which is, or he was standing condemned, which is why I opposed him to his face. I didn't want him to to go astray, to be led astray, to be led away from the faith. So I opposed him to his face. Can we be bold enough as a church, as a Christian, to 
individually and as a society to oppose people to their face, doing it in love, but recognizing that if someone doesn't tell them the truth, they are going to stand as Peter stood, which is condemned. And I don't know about you, but I've never hated anybody that much. And so he says, this is what happened in Galatia. Peter was kind of allowing the Judaizers to do whatever it is they wanted to do. And they were convincing the people in Antioch that they had to perform some of the law. And Peter, because he wanted to get along, wasn't arguing with them. In fact, he was partaking of their sin and that he was allowing the law to happen amongst them. And it shouldn't be this way. And so Peter just really, or Paul, as an illustration, uses Antioch to get to a singular point. He says, you foolish Galatians. He wanted to let them know, listen, I just gave you this illustration because I want you to understand how stupid this is. Amen? Yeah. Man, he says stupid. I know. But if you can't accept grace for what it is, recognize the truth of the gospel after having tasted grace, you're stupid. <laughs> Carry you on. I mean, literally, you're willfully ignorant. If not straight, plain, reckless. And so anyway, he, he tells them, you foolish Galatians. Because the Galatians were doing the same thing that those in Antioch were doing. They thought that they could add something to their justification, that they could add something to their righteousness, when in fact we can't. I like that from the very beginning, from the very beginning, we see in Acts 16.30, Paul and Silas didn't burden people with a bunch of expectations or mandates. And for, in 16.30, we, he, he talks to the jailer in the Philippian church and he tells him the gospel. He says, what must I do to be saved? And asks, this is the question. And then instead of telling him, you know what you got to do, man? You got you to get circumcised and then you got to observe all the feasts and then you have all these mandates and then I need you to show up to church on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I need you to volunteer. I need to make sure that you're giving. I need you to make sure that you're doing something or serving in here or whatever because you can't be saved unless you do all of that. You know what he says? When the guy asked him, he said, what must I do to be saved? In Acts 16.31, he says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen? What, what does it cause us to be saved? What causes us to be saved? The fact that we believe in the Lord Jesus that we declare out of our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. And also, in addition to that, you need to do this, 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 and this. That's what it says, right? No, it doesn't say any of that. It just says, confess with your mouth, believing in your heart, and you shall be saved. Let's just take it back. Let's peel back all the craziness that religion has taught us. And just for a minute, rest in the idea, the simple understanding that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is enough. I know I've blown your mind with that. Wait a minute. You, what? I'm not telling you that your righteousness shouldn't produce works. James specifically says that faith produces works. 
Because if you put something the size of God in you, it's, he's bound to leak out somewhere. And they, he works, he leaks out in the way that we demonstrate him, the, the love that we share with other people, the fruits of the Spirit. There are works that are being done, but I promise you that has nothing to do with your justification. You are justified by faith through grace. Amen? All right, a couple of y'all look at me crazy. Not any different than you normally do, but that's all right. To make this point, as simply as I can, we have a grandson. I didn't know if y'all knew that. We have a one-year-old grandson we're pretty excited about. And he didn't do anything to deserve the favor he has in our house. As, as I put on Facebook today, matter of fact, he did everything he can. He does everything he can to not deserve the favor he has in our house. He's a viper in a diaper. Amen? That's not mine. I stole that from somebody else. Let's put it on Facebook. But that, this kid is crazy, man. But you know what? He belongs to us. He was born into our family. And because he was born into our family, the simple fact that he was born into our family means he has access to me as much as I love you that you guys won't ever have access to. And I can tell you, because he was born into our family, he has that access. And because you've been born again into God's family, you have the same access to him. There is nothing Arrow did to earn my favor except be born. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor except to be born again. Amen? You must be born of both water and spirit. It's a whole other teaching. I probably should have brought that up. But anyway, so it's not what you can do. It's what's been done. And this is what Peter's talking about. Righteousness came by faith in Christ and Him crucified. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Foolish Galatians, if you'll look up foolish, it means wantingly ignorant. It means, well, that's what it means, wantingly ignorant. <laughs> How dare you take the grace of God after, he continues, after Jesus Christ is public, publicly portrayed as crucified to you, so ignorantly walked into the mess that you're walking in. How are you being so lazy and careless with what you know to be true? This is the society we live in. I can sit up here, and as long as I'm motivational, as long as I have some charisma, and as long as I can about 60% convince you that this matches with this, you're going to believe me no matter what I say or the vast majority, I hope we've trained our congregation to not do that, but most Christians would, will accept what the pastor tells them. You know why? Because we're foolish. Because we've become lazy. Because we've become wantingly ignorant. We don't want to take the time as the Bereans and study the Scriptures for ourselves. Make sure that who who is talking to us, is in fact should be talking to us. And Paul is very specific to say, you're foolish because you've gone into this error having already been explained the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ died for you, which means you've bought into something other than Jesus, which is the reason the Bible tells us, test the spirits. 
test what you're listening to. I'm going to read this to you out of 1 John, if you don't mind. I mean, I'm going to anyway, but 4, 1 through 3 reads like this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. That's little s. That's not big Holy Spirit. Believe the Holy Spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets, false teachers, false laymen, false Christians that you work with have gone out into the world. But this you know, the Spirit of God, the big-ass Spirit of God, by this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist in which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. What's he saying? Rely on the Holy Spirit to test every spirit. Get in your word. What is one of the... I pray it almost every time I'm up here. God, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. Just so you know, if you're curious, that's Ephesians 1.17 summarized for the purpose of prayer. But I'm asking specifically that God give me the wisdom and revelation to understand what I'm reading, what I'm hearing, so that I can know him better, so that I might make him known to other people. I'm asking God, give me your wisdom and your revelation so that I can test the spirit of what's being said to me. We need to learn to test the spirits of the people we're allowing to speak into our lives. Because when we don't, we get derailed. The people in Galatia, the whole reason Paul's having this conversation, the whole reason he's having this conversation is because they allowed themselves to be derailed. They had people come in amongst their congregation having had Christ publicly proclaimed to them and allowed themselves to be swayed anyway. Guys, this shouldn't be. I know that's that's probably silly, but this shouldn't be. I know it's super plain. But Christ died so that you would know you belong to him. And everybody that tells you that you have to add something to the salvation, to the justification, to the righteousness that you have is of the Antichrist. Because they're essentially putting telling you that Jesus wasn't enough. You're all, who's the Antichrist? The Antichrist. Anybody that speaks against Jesus is the Antichrist. Is, is, speaks up to say that he's not sufficient, he's not enough, his crucifixion did happen, didn't happen. I don't care if they minimize the work that he did on the cross. They have the spirit of the Antichrist in them, which means they are anti-Christ. They are anti the gospel. They have led you astray or trying to lead you astray. Test the spirits, church. Don't be foolish. We've been told in Scripture, don't be foolish. Jesus used the word foolish to rebuke the disciples he encountered on the road to Emmaus. In Luke 24, 25, he says this, and I, I love this because I find myself here sometimes. Can I, is, it, is it weird that I, I enjoy when I get rebuked? You should, you should be thankful that God loves you enough to rebuke you. And in Luke 24, 25, he said, and he said to them, O oh, foolish men, it's slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. 
he called them foolish men. If you're not familiar with the road to Emmaus, Jesus had been buried. The, these guys are walking down the street trying to get to Emmaus, and they're sad, and they're, oh, man, we really thought Jesus was the one, you know. But I guess he isn't because they had Jesus in their own understanding. They didn't have Jesus' true understanding, what his spiritual purpose was. They thought he was there like all the other Jews to overthrow the Roman government and all this other stuff. And so they were saddened, and he called them foolish. You know why? Because even though they had heard the prophets, they didn't have the wisdom and revelation they needed because they had been lazy-minded and allowed somebody to teach them that shouldn't have been teaching them in the first place. Oh, that's good right there. Amen? And I know you guys thinking, man, he's trying to paint himself out of a job. If I teach you wrongly, I should be out of a job. Let the doors forever be shut if I intentionally teach you wrongly. Now, there's some st stuff every now and then I might say, and I'll be like, oh, that wasn't right. But I'm going to come back and I'm going to correct that because I don't want you walking in false understanding because you shouldn't be foolish. You shouldn't be lazy-minded. But that means that you have to study. People are all, people leave the church. I hear this, not regularly, but I hear it sometimes. It's a, uh, man, I'm leaving. I'm not getting fed. No, what you've gotten is familiar. You're getting fed. You're getting fed here for sure. But it's the child that always whines about, not about being hungry. An adult feed himself. I can make myself a well, I can make myself a sandwich. I won't typically. <laughs> but just so everybody knows what's up. You know. <laughs> I need y'all focus. My point is feed yourself. Don't be foolish. Don't be lazy minded. Because the fact of the matter is salvation comes from Christ and Him crucified. This is Paul's message. This was Jesus' message. When Jesus came out of the desert, what did He say? He said, repent. For what? Anybody? For the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? What is He saying? He said, man, here I am. Here I am. Repent, for here I am. The truth of salvation comes from Christ and His crucified. It was Jesus' primary message. It's Paul's primary message. It should be all of ours' primary message. I love in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul states this to the Corinthian church. He said, for I determined, which means my, my singular focus was to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. So, Pastor Jim, you used the same. Did y'all? I'm going to tell y'all a secret. You know, I preach about the same sermon every Sunday. Did y'all know that? Y'all, how you write two services a week? Well, I preach the same service every week. God just leads me to different passages to teach the same service. You know what the service is? Christ and Him crucified and your responsibility to it. That's it. I asked myself, Pastor Rick, well, Pastor Rick asked me because he tries to keep me honest. He says, tell me the one thing you're wanting them to know. Give me your thesis statement. And if it doesn't include in some way or another Christ, Him crucified, and my responsibility to it, why am I bothering you? I'm not your motivational speaker. I'm your pastor. So anyway, that's His singular purpose. Why? Because that's the only hope that we have. 
It's through Christ that we are made righteous. It's all we have. It's all we need. No ritual, no ceremony, no rite of passage can save you or maintain your salvation. It's by the cross that we're saved. Do you understand the work God put in for us to be able to have faith? It's by the cross. It's by the beating and the torture and the hanging. By the hands and his feet. It's by the ridicule. It's by the blasphemy. It's by the striking and the mauling of the body of Jesus Christ. By the blood shed on the cross. That we have righteousness in the first place. Amen? Let's take it all back. Or let's, let's put it this way. Let's peel it all back. And get to the center of it. And the center of it is the cross stands forever as proof that we can't do it. Because if we could do it, guess what? God would have let us do it. Surely he didn't send his son Jesus if there was another option. But we want to think that we, got, we have the ability to do it when in fact we don't. This is, and then so he asks, he asks a bunch of questions. He says, it's by the Spirit that we're perfected. Do you believe that? We continue this process, this righteousness process by the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13b through 14 reads like this. Having also believed, we were sealed. Not only did God make a way for us, but he sealed us with his Holy Spirit to affirm and confirm to us that we belong to him. To be sealed means to show ownership. Like if I was going to seal, like with a signet ring, this belongs to me. He says, this is mine. You can't have it. You can't open it. You can't manipulate what's inside of it. This belongs to me. And if God's powerful enough to say it, God's power, powerful enough to keep it. Amen? And he gave us his spirit to affirm and confirm that in us. But not only that, not just to seal us, but he is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So he says, not only am I going to give you your, my spirit to show people that you belong to me, I'm going to show you by the Spirit that you will be with me forever. That your eternity started the day that you got saved. Did you know that? So many people are all, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven either. But you know what? I'm pretty excited that I'm living heaven on earth right now because I've got the Spirit of God living in me. Oh, man, my life's tough. you got the Spirit of God living in you. Your life might be tough, but with the Spirit of God comes the peace of God. I'm getting off track, but trust that all of this is available by faith. Righteous, sealed by the Spirit of God, we belong to Him. Not by any work we could do, but by what Christ has done. And then Paul asks these four rhetorical questions. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? Let me ask you. Did you receive the Spirit by working of the law 
or by faith? Then act like you got faith. That's a point of a rhetorical question. You ask a rhetorical question because the question is so obviously wrong that it leads you to a conclusion. And then the second one is, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, if you, if you say that it's by faith you've been saved, then that which started in the Spirit, are you so foolish that you're now being perfected in the flesh? Do you think that God saved you, placed His Spirit in you, and now for some reason you're smart enough to walk it out in the flesh? And the answer is, no, I'm not. So stop trying. Amen? Now, I'm about to get right. I'm not going to say nothing crazy. I'm not going to say anything else crazy. For third question, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Let me ask you a question. Have you suffered anything that the Bible doesn't tell you isn't going to work out for your good? No. Romans 8.28 is very specific to say it. That he'll work all things to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I praise God for that because there's some craziness that goes on in my life. There's been some craziness that's gone on in my life. That if I didn't know that God was perfecting me in those things, that my suffering wasn't in vain, ain't no telling. I'd have gone off a deep end by now. But I praise God that he's broken me for a reason. To perfect me. And he did it by his spirit, not me. And so why am I trying to continue to do it by, by works? You can't. He says, then, does he who provides you with the spirit and work miracles among you? Because that's, he gave you the spirit, and by, by the spirit, he performs miracles among you. Anybody ever have a miracle happen in their life? Yeah, if you've ever been saved, you had a miracle happen in your life. Let me explain to you why. Salvation is likened to creation. Let me explain that let me explain that to you. God in creation created everything out of nothing. In your salvation, God created righteousness where there was no righteousness. And so if you say I've never seen a miracle, but you say you believe it through faith, by faith in grace, that Jesus Christ died for you, that he suffered for you so that you might have eternal life, if you've declared him as Lord, then you don't understand what a miracle is. Because the idea that I was lying, dying, and going to hell, but God saw fit to send Jesus to me, is a miracle. So he asked that, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? If he's worked miracles, did he do it because we kept a law or because we had faith in it in the name of Jesus? Because we had faith in the name of Jesus. Amen? These, these answers are so obvious. And that's the reason why they're rhetorical. Because he wants you to understand that righteousness comes by faith. Remember, he's making an argument. He's talking to people who have been lazy. And I don't know if you've been lazy. I challenge you enough. I hope you're not being lazy. I'm not a, I'm not a tiptoe kind of pastor. But I don't know what your personal life looks like. But I'll know you, I do know you can't do it by yourself. So stop trying. And then he continues in verse, and all I've done is covered five verses, and the rest of it is just an explanation of really what he said. 
He said, you've been saved by faith. Abraham was saved by faith. He goes into a, a topical sermon in the next few verses. He lists several places in the Old Testament. I, I, I'm typically an expository preacher, which means I like to go verse by verse. And I hear a lot of expository preachers says the topical preaching ain't right. You shouldn't do topical preaching. You should do exeget exegetical expository preaching, which is fine, except that's not true because the only way Paul ever taught was topical preaching. If you'll read through his letters, he goes, and it says this, and it says this, and it says this. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus said if you'll, he didn't say turn your Bible to Deuteronomy or whatever, but he would quote from those texts. And in these few texts in verse 8, he quotes Genesis 22, 18. I don't have my glasses. I think that's right. In verse 10, Deuteronomy 27, 6. In verse 11, Habakkuk 2, 4. In verse 12, Leviticus 18, 5. In verse 13, Deuteronomy 21, 23. All to prove one point, that you can't be righteous by yourself. So stop trying. You can't gain righteousness. You can't gain right standing. You can't keep right standing. Matter of fact, probably the less we stand, the more right standing we'd be. If we got on our face and recognized that God is sufficient, that he is enough, that Jesus Christ and the work of the cross is enough, Truly, the peace of God would be beyond comprehension. And the peace of God would guard our hearts. Because when we get twisted, it's typically because we think we've messed something up. I feel questions all the time. People go, oh, Pastor Jim, I haven't been doing this or I haven't been doing that. And I feel bad about it, blah, blah, blah. And I think I've fallen out of favor with God. You haven't fallen out of favor with God. And if you have, let me tell you, you're one prayer of repentance away from perfect right standing again. Have faith in the, in the Jesus that God gave you. Amen? Because he loves you enough that he sent his son in the first place. All right? All right. Chuck, you want praise closed? Yes. Man, man, I love you guys. Have a good evening, and don't forget about me. All right, not a, not y'all, him. Yeah.